Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today you'd like to hear more about, make sure to listen to our weekly podcast called Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take Sunday topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Man, you guys are like ready to go. Just like ready to like applause at anything. Let's give it up for our campus pastors, man. They've been killing it. Both of them doing a great job. Niwak Campus, good to have you with us. All of you online, good to have you. And all of you in the room, man, it's great to be with you. As, as uh, we said earlier, we're going to be talking about cows this morning. And the uh, name of our series is Purple Cow. And I, th- I know some of you have seen some of that like on social media. And I know you're just doing like mental gymnastics going, what in the world are they talking about? Like I get, if you've been around church, um, you've heard the term sacred cows. We're not talking about sacred cows today. If you're a Chick-fil-A fan, there's like Chick-fil-A cow, but no Chick-fil-A. We thought about bringing a Chick-fil-A cow in and like painting it purple and just have it run around, but we didn't do that. So we're talking about purple cows. Now, if you're wondering, what is that? Like, what are we talking about? There's a guy named Seth Godin who wrote a book called Purple Cow. Seth Godin is a uh, marketing guru, business guy. It's a marketing book. And he talks about in the introduction about how he and his family, he took them on a trip to France. So took his wife, took his couple kids, they went to France, they got in a rental car and they headed out in the countryside and they were just like floored at just how beautiful it was. And so he gives this whole description. He's like the picturesque, like pastures. And he makes this comment, all these rolling hill pastures that had hundreds of thousands of like brown cows everywhere. And he makes the same, he's like, it was just gorgeous. And he said, we drove for about 20 minutes and then we realized something, we didn't even notice the brown cows anymore. Like you just drive through and you see all these pastures and all these brown cows, it just becomes normal. And not only did it become normal, he said it actually became, it was still beautiful, but it became a little boring and they quit noticing it anymore. So then he just makes this weird off the wall statement and he says, but if there would have been a purple cow, that would have been noticeable. Like that would be remarkable. That would be something that you actually talk about. Here's an interesting thing. The word remarkable in the dictionary is defined as this, it is worthy of being or likely to be noticed as something that's different, but actually extraordinary. Man, that's, an, that's kind of a power packed definition, wouldn't you agree? Like worthy of being or likely to be noticed because it's different, but it's actually extraordinary. I mean, think about that. If you were driving through the countryside and all of a sudden you saw a purple cow, you would show up at dinner at, at night and you'd be like, babe, I don't know if I'm losing it or something, but I saw something today. Like I saw a purple cow. Like, I don't know if you'd actually say that around the water cooler at work because they might think you're a little crazy, but you would talk about that. Like it would be something that you notice. And here's what's interesting in our culture. There are certain things that stand out as remarkable. Like they're likely to be noticed and they are because they're different. And usually that different thing is like a different approach to something. And all of a sudden people start catching on and they start looking at that thing. They start talking about that thing and it becomes the thing that everybody wants to be a part of and do. Now, there's also things that used to be remarkable and they're not anymore. Like, have you ever noticed that? Like there was things that was all the rage, like it was the deals, like this is so cool, this is a different, uh, different way, a different approach to do things. And all of a sudden, something else came along and that thing went away. Like I'll give you an example, I'll give you a business example. Blockbuster, right? 
Like all the kids in the room are like, huh? what? What are, you, what are you actually talking about? I was sitting with my boy um, on the back porch the other day. He's 13 years old, just had a birthday. Give it up for Jake. Yeah, 13 years old. Awesome. Pray for me, please. <laughs> but we're sitting on the back porch and we're, we're talking about this. He's like, dad, what are you preaching about? And he's like, what stories are you gonna tell? You always tell a story. I said, well, I'm gonna talk about Blockbuster. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, Blockbuster. You remember those things, those like rectangle, you know, little, like VHS tapes? And he's like, what? And then he has this moment where he clicks in. He's like, oh yeah, those things that pops in Grammy's house, like the rectangle plastic things with the big eyeballs on them that like, I'm like, yeah, that thing, that thing. Like we used to get up out of our houses. We would get in the car and we would go down to this little box store called Blockbuster and you would walk in and they would have rows and rows of VHS tapes, right? And there would be like the title tape that sat on top and then all the tapes behind it. And you would walk in and you would rush down the road to the new releases to try to get your movie. But most of the time your movie wasn't there, was it? And then you would rent another movie and you'd take like an hour to figure out what it is. And you'd walk through the stores, up and down the aisles. You'd go to the action section, the comedy section, the romance section, whatever. And you'd take it home and you'd watch it and then you'd bring it back and you'd have to pay a dollar if you didn't what? Yeah, be kind and rewind, right? Like kids, it was serious. This was hard life for us, all right? And then it went from like VHS tapes to DVDs and Blockbuster like a champ. They, you know, they took a new approach and it was DVDs and it was the same thing. But I don't know about you, I have not seen a Blockbuster in a long, long time, right? Because for some reason in America, we think everything's supposed to be convenient. And we're like, there should be a better way to do this. And somebody came up with something different and all of a sudden Blockbuster became unremarkable, too hard, and it wasn't easy. And there was this other purple cow thing that came along that was remarkable, that still is remarkable, that you use all the time. Most everybody in here has a, a membership to this thing, and it is what? Netflix, right? Like Netflix showed up, and what kids don't realize is Netflix used to do the DVD thing. Like they, you remember how you would go online? You're like, I don't have to leave my home. This is so awesome, I jump online, I make my cue, I put all my movies in order, and they mail it to me. And you would wait for like two or three days or till when that DVD was available and they would mail it to you. And we would be so excited. We'd rip the thing open and we'd be like, babe, it came, movie night tonight, date night. And we'd shove the DVD in and then what would you do? you pull it out, you put it back in the sleeve, you put it back in the envelope and you would mail it back. And then you wait for your next movie to come. And then Netflix got really smart and they're like, dude, we need a new approach. We need a better approach. And if you'll just pay us 10 bucks, here's what we'll do. We'll give you access to everything. Like you think about the shows that you binge watch now, that wasn't even a thing until Netflix, was it? But there was this new Purple Cow approach. It was like, there's a different way. There's something better and it stood out and it adapted and it was different and it stood out from everything. And that got me thinking. Like, what would a purple church look like? Like, seriously, I know that's a big jump. We're talking purple cows, now we're talking purple churches. But no joke, like, if, if something was a new approach, if something was just better and it stood out as remarkable, it was, like, worthy of being noticed, it was likely to be noticed, it was actually noticed, like, what would that actually look like? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you five minutes. I'm going to describe what a purple church would actually look like. Like a church that would stand out to our community and a church that people would actually notice would be one that was absolutely committed to the gathering. 
Like we look out here right now, we look out there at Niwot, there's people that are gathering today. There's people that are gathering online and watching this online and connecting. But here's the deal. There's a whole bunch of people that are here. But here's the thing. A purple church, here's what would happen. They would be so committed to the gathering that there would be like lines to show up. I mean, I mean, you, you think about that. We do that for sporting events. So you go back just a couple of weeks and, you know, Broncos start their training camp down in Dell Valley. Do you know that people actually stayed out there all stinking night and camped to be able to line up, to keep their spot, to be able to get in, to watch Russell Wilson and the new team get ready to go? I mean, that's kind of some commitment, wouldn't you say? Because we're hoping it's going to be a different team this year, Right. And they show up and they're checking it out. Some of you will do this. You will buy tickets to bands that you watched 30 years ago who are now old and decrepit and can't sing anymore. And you'll line up for hours to go see them. There's nothing life-changing about that at all. But what would happen with the Purple Church is people would be so committed to the gathering, the leadership would be so committed to making it special, to making it something that's so life-changing that they would line up to show up, they'd come in, they'd worship passionately. Like you wouldn't need any coffee to get you up in the morning because of worship, but you would worship passionately and be excited about worship and the worship would set the table for teaching that was relevant teaching that hit home to what we're dealing with with life. It'd be biblically based, it'd be vulnerable. People would be sharing their stories and people would say, there's something different about that place. And what people would do is they'd start talking about that gathering and they wouldn't just gather on Sundays. What they would do is they would gather throughout the week. There would be connections that were happening in homes, happening in restaurants, coffee shops. People would connect with each other and start pushing and encouraging each other about what they've heard, what they've learned, and say, we've got to become more like Jesus because it's changing things. Like what you would find, that would be so out of the ordinary. That would be so remarkable. That would be such a different kind of church. That'd be a purple church, right? Where you talk about it. You'd be telling people, you gotta check this thing out because this thing is actually different. They'd be committed to the gathering, but here's the other thing. They'd be committed to deep friendships. Like every Christian in the church would be a person who, which it takes time to develop this, but you'd have your people. Like everybody wants their people. Like you want people that are like-minded people that you can connect with and not just come sit by at church, but, but you go home on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and the rest of the week, and there would be people that you would connect with. And if you have something going on in your life that you're like, dude, I need those people would show up. Those people would know you. They would know what's going on in your life. They would be praying for what's happening in your life. They would show up and they would be there for you. They'd sacrifice time for you. They'd sacrifice even resources for you, for those people who are in need. And that'd be remarkable and that would be different because most people, most people, just kind of focused on themselves. But that kind of church, people within the church would be like for everybody, for everybody else. They would be, a church would be committed to generosity and not just talking financially. What we'd be talking is time, treasure, and talents. Like that church would be so committed to using everything they have for the sake of the mission that what would happen is like when there's a leadership opportunity, there'd be people lining up and you'd have to choose because you'd be like, we don't need 40, we need three. But hey, the rest of you 37, let's talk. Because you have gifts and you have abilities and we have needs and our community has needs and people would show up. And then people would be generous with their money too. 
Not just upper class, not just middle class, lower class. Every class of people would be generous with their finances because here's what they know. It's not how much I give. It's the fact that we all give. And when we all give, what happens is no matter if that person gave more than me or that person gave less than me or whatever, it's that we all gave together. And what God is able to do is he's able to take that giving and he's able to multiply it. And what would happen with a church like that is they would take bold risks in the community to say, we're doing this to reach more and more people and there's an issue that our community has, we can solve that. People jump in and say, let's go for it. Let's do big things because God will do miracles through us all together and they would be committed to prayer. Like here's what would happen is the leadership would pray before they plan and they would not be surprised by miracles because they pray for them. They would expect them And not only would miracles happen in the life of the church, but miracles would be happening in the lives of people. And we would celebrate those because we expected that God was gonna do great things and people would be praying for each other because again, they know each other and they know what those needs are. And they'd show up to pray individually. They'd show up to pray in groups. They'd pray corporately as a church. They'd be praying for their community. I'm telling you, that would be a different approach. Probably with some different results. And then I just say that a, grow, a church like that, like a purple church like that that stood out, that people talked about, that was remarkable, that was making a difference in its community, it would grow. Like you wouldn't be able to stop that kind of church from growing because people would line up at the door saying, I need what's going on there. There would be decisions that would happen every single week, baptisms that you would see constantly. The church would have to start new stuff because there wouldn't be a room, enough room for new people. Like that's the kind of church that I think you would talk about. And while I step back and would say, man, Rocky is an awesome church. Like I love this place and I love our two campuses and I love what we have with people that are joining us online from all over the place. I love this place, but here's what I'd say. We got a long ways to go. And we are given everything we got as a leadership to try to get there. But we've got to, I just have to acknowledge and be vulnerable that we got a long ways to go. But what's interesting Is that church that I described, it exists. Or maybe I should say it existed. Like what I just described to you is the very first church in Acts. Like if you flip on your phones, you get to on your device, or you get in there in your Bibles, if you go to Acts chapter 2, starting verse 41, what you get is a description of the very first church, and that's everything I just described to you. You see, in Acts chapter 2, here's what happened. Jesus, about 50 days earlier, 50 to 55 days earlier, Jesus had been crucified. He had risen from the dead. He meets with his disciples and meets with some other people. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and he's gonna start this new thing through them called the church. And he says, they're gonna go into all the world. Like the church won't just be in Jerusalem. It took them a long time to understand that, but they're gonna go to the entire world and plant churches all over the place. And that's gonna be Jesus' mode. That's gonna be his method. That's what he's gonna use to get the gospel to the entire world. So they do that. They, they leave Galilee and they see a Galilee. They head over to Jerusalem and they start hanging out in this upper room and all they do is pray. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. Acts chapter two, he shows up and he says the Holy Spirit just comes down and he's with these believers and, and this gathering of this crowd begins to swirl and happen and people are showing up and going, what's going on? And Peter stands up and he says, hey, to a crowd like this, but it's thousands. He says, hey, uh, let me explain this to you. And he goes through the whole history. 
He talks about Israel. He talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus being the fulfillment. He's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. He talks about the crucifixion. He talks about the resurrection. And people out there in the crowd are like, man, I was there. I yelled, crucify him. And this is the Messiah you're talking about? What do we do? And Peter preaches, and we talked about it last Sunday, and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And here's the result of what happens. Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How would you like to start a church with a baptism service of 3,000 people? Like, that's what's happened in the last couple weeks times 10. Excuse me, times 100. <laughs> Pastor math, sorry, I can count. I just can't multiply. 3,000 people came to Christ. And then what happens is Luke goes on, the writer of the book of Acts, he goes on and he says in the very next verse, he says, let me describe that church to you. And here's what he says. He says, they, this group of 3,000, the disciples, 120 that were there before the 3,000, it says they devoted themselves. Keep that word in mind. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So understand, they devoted themselves to some things. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. There was a unity within this church. It says they even, they were so unified that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You had a family crisis over here. These people over here are like, man, I got something. I'm selling a car. I'm selling a piece of property. I am helping you out because that's what the church is supposed to do. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Does this sound like a purple church? Like it's different. This is a different approach praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number every month. No, it said the Lord added to their number daily because this was such a different approach. People came, added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, what I just described in more detail is the exact picture that Luke gives of what the church Jesus Christ intended to be. He's like, I'm leaving you this thing called the church. And here's what I want it to look like. And man, in those early days, that was the purest form of the church, and it was beautiful, and it stood out because it was a whole new approach. You see, the approach that they had had all before had been, let's go to the temple. Man, I sinned last week, and I'm not okay until we sacrifice an animal, so go get me a lamb. I'm going to take that in, and I'm going to sacrifice that thing, and then I'm going to do, you know, five Hail Marys and, you know, whatever it is, Israelite stuff. And God's going to forgive me. And uh, then when I do it again, i got to do it all over again. And Jesus showed up and he said, no more is this about law and rules. Here's what this is about. This is about love and relationship. And that's what Jesus, if you look back to Jesus' ministry, that's exactly what Jesus' ministry was built on. It was built on love. It was built on acceptance. It was built on relationships. It was built on grace and mercy and justice. That's what it was built upon. And he says, that continues into this church. And that's the kind of church that I think you and me, we say, that's what we want to be. And that's for Rocky as a leadership. That's the kind of church that we want to see happen. 
And what it takes is it takes a different approach. And what these people did is throughout life, throughout their life in the church, what they did is they did one thing. They imitated Jesus. And that had this incredible result because what happens in our life, you go out there and you imitate anybody else. You do anything else, whatever. There's this pure thing about imitating Jesus in his lifestyle that's remarkable. Like it changes things. And it's, it's not easy. But the more we go after it, the more we just allow it to invade our life, the more we begin to see results like this, more stories like this in our lives of like, this is different. What Jesus said is he says, I will bless a church with different values in a different culture like that. In 2003, there was a guy named Scott Drew who, his family's a big basketball family, and you guys know that I love basketball, and and, uh, he, uh, his dad was a famous Hall of Fame coach, and his brother was a famous player that hit a, hit a shot in the, in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16 to take his little tiny school to the next round. I mean, they were this family. Scott Drew was a good basketball player, but he was the one that was kind of like lower on the totem pole as far as a player and a coach. And at 32 years old, University of Baylor hired him. Now, if you know this story, it's an incredible story because nobody else would touch Baylor's basketball program. Like they had asked all these different basketball coaches and everybody said no because here's what had happened. They'd had all these recruiting violations that had put them so far back. It was so far until they were gonna be able to um, actually play in the NCAA tournament again. It was, they were on suspension, probation. It was crazy. And that previous summer, their starting forward had been shot and killed, was murdered by another former player from their team. I mean, this thing was just riddled with scandal. I heard somebody say it this way. Like, Baylor's, like, basketball program was radioactive. <laughs> it was like people avoided this thing like the plague. Scott Drew's 32 years old. He wants a Division I team, and nobody else is hiring him. So he steps up, and he's like, I'm in. He takes the job. He starts off. They were, 30, they were almost every game in the Big 12 Conference, they were 30 to 35-point underdogs almost every game. They only have five scholarship players. Scott Drew takes his team and he begins to be interviewed and he begins to talk about this culture and nobody really knew about it because Baylor wasn't famous at the time. But what's interesting is over that next 20 years or 18 years, what happened is Scott Drew instituted this new kind of culture that was a totally different approach. You don't hear any coaches hardly at all talk about this approach. And in 2021, Scott Drew took the Baylor Bears straight through the NCAA tournament, wiped out the competition and won the national championship. I want you to watch a video for the next minute and a half of him being interviewed by a guy named Clark Kellogg talking about the culture that he set up. Here you go. Great to be here with you folks, and now it's an opportunity for me to visit with the head coach of the Baylor Bears, the national champion, Baylor Bears, Scott Drew. Great to see you, man. You look like you've got that championship glow about you. And I don't, is it ever gonna go away? Uh, probably when the ball's tipped next year, but right now we're doing all right. It's great having you in Waco and on Baylor's campus. Too. I'm thrilled to be here, man. Great to visit with you. I imagine some of what the Baylor program talked about this season, that culture of joy. Talk about how that came to be kind of the mantra for your team this year, that culture of joy. Yeah, Jesus came to serve, not uh, be served, and we've always had that. It's been a Christ-centered program since I've been here. This is on year 19, and uh, 
Uh, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, they uh, uh, had a culture of joy, which stands for Jesus, others, yourself. And I thought that was such a great way uh, to state it. As long as you keep Jesus first and you keep others, your teammates ahead of you and then yourself last, you're going to be very successful. And you want a coach-led team, but the best teams are player-led teams. And we had great player leadership from our upperclassmen, Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, Mark Vidal, and they really embraced that culture of joy. This is God's platform. He blessed us with the championship, and uh, uh, we just want to make sure we honor him in the way that's according. I don't know if you saw that national championship game, but that's like the week after. And I laugh because he still looks like he's like 32 and just goofy and excited and he's pumped. After the national championship game, man, they, they're getting ready to play the one shining moment video. Like there's like, you know, the, the confetti's coming down. He's standing on the court and you can't quite make it out. So we didn't show you that video, but here's the deal. He says, when they're like, Scott, this is the biggest turnaround in NCAA history. How'd you do this? He said, it's all joy. He said, it's joy. It's Jesus, others, and yourself. And I'm going, he's doing this on national TV with the national championship. He goes into the back. He's sitting there with all the press. And he's, you know, got the, got the net around his neck. And that's exactly what he talks about. And he keeps talking about it. And they're still doing it today. And guys, that's no different. Like that approach is nothing different than what Jesus brought to this world 2,000 years ago. He says, here's the deal. If you want a better approach, you want something different in life, here's what you do. You live with joy. You live me first, you put others second, and you put yourself last. It's exactly what the early church did. Did you catch when I was reading that passage? Actually, verse 42, it starts off and it says the word devoted. It says they devoted themselves too. And then it lists exactly that. But catch what this word devoted means. Devoted means to continue steadfastly in. Say that again. It means to continue steadfastly in something. And here's the thing. The idea of continuing steadfastly in, it is rooted in action. It is a commitment that is put into action. So listen again. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Guys, it's no different today. That approach is exactly what Jesus brought. He says, you put me first, you put others second, you put yourself last, last, and you be devoted to these things that I gave you. And it stands out. It stands out as a church, but it stands out as a person too. Man, you want to really make a difference in your community and your family and your workplace and all that. Here's the deal. You just live with that devotion. And here at Rocky, here's what we do. We, we may have different language, but it's really not any different in the culture or the values. So I even said it last week. We're standing there at Anderson Farms. And I just talked about this idea that here at Rocky, what we see that we've got to be devoted to is this idea of these three values that we see right out of that passage of Scripture. These three values that we believe that if we will live this out, we as a church, that God will do something very different in our community and our society. It'd be a different approach. And what we do is we put first things first. We go together and we be for the one. And you're like, that's really simple what it is. You know what our mission is around this place? It's the same thing. It's super simple. It's the idea of we want to help as many people as possible know Jesus and love like him. Because we believe that makes an incredible difference. I've had so many people over the last 10 years say, man, I first heard that and I thought that is like far too simple. 
But then I started doing it. And it made everything else really easy. And everything else started to actually fall into place when you just get to know who Jesus is. Not the Jesus I grew up with and people told me about, but the one who's actually in Scripture, the one of mercy and love and, and care and grace. You get to know that Jesus and you begin to love people like he loved people. It transforms everything. And so what we say around here is if you literally want to grow and see something different, if we as a church want to take a different approach, what we do is we put first things first. It's the idea that we put Jesus above everything. Like we put him above everything. We think about our time, our talent, and our treasure. That's kind of how you divide life up. Your time, your calendar, like your gifts and abilities, how you use those, and your treasure, your finances, your resources. And here's a question we just ask. Is Jesus above everything in those areas? Because if he is, it's a different approach to life, and it brings different results in your life. So he begins to be the one who we begin to make our decisions through. It's the filter that we filter everything through. My time, here's where I'm spending my Friday night. Here's where I'm spending my Sunday mornings. Here's, how, here's what I'm doing, my talents, my gifts. How am I using those? And God's all for like using those to take care of your family and advance your business. But does any of those things advance his cause and put him first? And your treasure. Like what you've been given is all given by God. And is he above all those things? Do you use those things for him? You see, that's what we say in, in a group of people doing that together or an individual doing that. I'm telling you, it stands out. And then we go on and we talk about we go together. Like we value relationships so much. Like this place, what we see in scripture, we see Jesus valued relationships, Paul valued relationships. Every leader throughout the entire scriptures, you see they valued relationships and they went with other people. Like they go together because everything in life is actually better together. Like one of the biggest statistics right now in life, post pandemic, all the things that are going on is loneliness. And what people are looking for is people to go together. And I'm telling you, the best vehicle that you could find to find people to go together with is church. And it takes effort. So what we say is we value relationships. So what we do is we do the hard work of being known, of connecting with people so we can be known. Not walking in and walking out, but connecting with people. And it's not easy. It takes effort. It takes some trying. But here's what happens when you get your people that you start serving with, that you start meeting with in groups and connecting with, something happens in your life and you begin to grow. And it changes things. We put first things first. Is Jesus above everything in your life? We go together. Do you have people that you can go together with? I'll be honest, man. There was a few years back where I was at this church and I was standing up here and preaching about small groups and telling you, you should go together. But there was a period of my life in things that were so busy and so crazy and some family stuff going on, I wasn't in a group. And thankfully, Mitch Comstead, one of our pastors who does all our group stuff and does an incredible job, he said, man, you know, you're preaching about, we should get you in a group. And I'm like, yeah. And guys, Thursday mornings at 7 o'clock with my six, group of guys, six, group, uh, six guys in my group, it's one of the best times of my week. And you know what? It took a while for us to get to know each other and get there, but those are the guys that I go together with. 
and they know what's going on in my life. They know what I struggle with. They are praying for my family. They're texting me saying, how'd that thing go? And I'm doing the same for them. I got people to go together with. And that's what we do. And then that last value is, is the not about us. You see, there's the joy thing that Scott Drew talked about, Jesus, others, yourself. See, what happens is, is what we do is we, we're for the one. So those first two values are all about putting Jesus first. And, and that second value is, is all about the idea of putting others before ourselves. We serve other people. We get in groups with other people. And this last value, this idea of being for the one, we put others first. And we have this value of understanding that because God has given so much to us, there's so many people out there that are looking for what we're talking about, looking for a different approach to life, that we go tell them about it. Like we put Jesus above everything. We, we go together with other people and then we give what we've got to others. We share the good news of the gospel. And what's interesting is all that flows back into blessing you. It makes something better in your life when you can walk in and say, that's my people, and we're going together. And Jesus is first in everything in my life, and I've seen it make a difference. And I might have had to leave this crowd of being deeply invested in this crowd, but God's given me another crowd, and now I'm trying to influence and love up on this group of people. Something happens in our life. Man, what would a purple church look like? A purple church would be a church where everybody together that we together and we as leaders, what we do is we put first things first. We put Jesus above everything. We lock arms together and we do the hard work of getting to know each other and working together and serving together and having fun together, praying together. And then we leave this place and we just realize there's more people that need to come back here. That would be the kind of church that I think other people would say, ah, there's something going on there. I want to be a part of that, and that would also be the kind of church that you would get something out of. See, I think what happens in life is, is we step up here, and a lot of church leaders, I think they step up there, and they're like, hey, here's what we're going to do for you. No. Jesus never did that. He stood up in front of people, and he said, here's what we're going to do together. And what I would say is one of the most Dangerous misconceptions in our culture is this, that your faith is a private faith. There's a lot of you probably even unknowingly, you're like, yeah, 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 it's, it's my faith. Like, it's, it's my faith, it's private to me, and, and I'll show up and I'll, no, you look throughout scripture, faith was never private. Faith was together, faith was community, faith was face-to-face, heart-to-heart, relationships with people, doing life together. And here's what I believe, there is so much at stake in this world that if you call Rocky home, what I wanna invite you to, what I wanna invite you to is living out a lifestyle of living these three values in our life. Let us set the table for you, let us connect you with people, let us help you put Jesus first in everything in your life, and I guarantee you what will happen is there will be some things that start coming out, some miracles that start happening that you won't be able to explain. And what will happen in this place together is there will be some things that we won't be able to explain because they're not us. 
They're God working through us. If you call Rocky home, here's what I would encourage you, whether you're online, whether you're sitting at the Niwak campus, whether you're talking right here, I would encourage you to go all in with a new approach. Luke 9, 23, Jesus is talking to a group of people and his disciples, and he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever puts me first above all things, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our services at both campuses. I'd encourage you, if you're online, to do this with us. We're going to end with something we do together every single week. We take communion. We take the Lord's Supper. The reason we do that is because the early church that we talked about, they gathered every single week, every time they gathered, and they recognized the resurrection as the center point of their faith. They recognized the crucifixion that led to Jesus being raised from the dead. They recognized that, that it took a sacrifice. And Jesus was willing to do that. So we take the bread that represents his body. We take the juice that represents his blood that washed our sins away. And we remember, and we say thank you. So I'm going to give you about 60 seconds. And what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to take communion. And I want you to say thank you. But then what I want you to do is something else. I want you to take a few moments and I want you just to think. What does it mean for me to be devoted? Like what's the next step in putting Jesus above everything? Or maybe my next step is I need to get some people to go together with. Get my people. Or maybe I've just been doing this personal thing and I need to share it. What is the next step? that would make you have a different approach that might just stand out. You take communion together, and then I'll pray for you in just a moment.